Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller, and I am the founder of the Miller Law Group, and I'm a trainer at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Matthew Frey. Matthew Frey is a relationship coach and an author who leans on the lessons of his failed marriage and his own divorce to help others avoid making the same mistakes he did. His book, This Is How Your Marriage Ends, which was published by Harper One, went on sale in March of this year in both North America and the UK. And he has appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Atlantic, and so on and so on. Welcome, Matthew Frey. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite. A lot of people have failed marriages, and most of us don't go on to write a book about it. So what what led you to do that, and, and what was the circumstances and your inspiration? Well, I was a writer by trade. I used to be a daily newspaper reporter. I was a business writer. And when my marriage ended, I had an exceedingly difficult time with it personally, sort of like mentally and emotionally. And in that process, I was encouraged to write about it. And the framework for which I was encouraged to write about it was more traditional private journaling. But because I'm me, I somewhat irresponsibly, probably at the time, just put it on the Internet. And I was just going to try to tell what I hoped were like semi-funny sardonic stories about like this like bitter single 34-year-old like trying to navigate single life and dating with a child for the first time. And, you know, a lot of what was me, like, sort of stories, but hopefully with a little humor. And what happened was people started to, like, read this stuff. And, you know, sort of like my moral compass took over and said, hey, people are going to read the things you write, try to do something that matters. And so I, I really set out to, like, I better understand how I got here. And it started, I journaled that journey publicly on the Internet. And one thing led to another, and I became a relationship coach you know, seven, eight years later, and then one thing led to another, and the New York Times wrote about me. And then the next thing you know, people are saying, hey, you want to write a book about it? And it was all very, very fortunate, minus the part where I had to lose my family for it to happen. Well, it sounds like what you did was you took your pain, and I'm I'm sure in the relationship coach world, you know the expression, make your mess your message, right? And, And so you took your own personal experience and shared it with other people in an effort to, I guess, originally get it off your heart, and ultimately to help other people. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I'm really, truly driven today by this. It's very personal, this divorce experience. I was a child of divorce, and then my own divorce happened, and they were sort of the two divine, defining things in my life. And I really believe the way that me, I'm able to tell the story of, hey, here's what I used to do in my marriage, and here's why I thought I was right. And here's how I've come to believe I feel that was really damaging to my relationship. And here's how I think about it today. And I can walk people through that process. And sometimes, maybe even often, they're able to extract value that they can apply to their own relationships. And 
it's by sharing that personal journey that helps them do that. Yeah, that's great. Let's hear some of those things, Matthew Fry. What we thought you were doing right, you know, trying really hard, but turned out to be in your later view, maybe off base and what you did to fix that. Understood. Well, I mean, I talk about this a lot and it is the low hanging fruit opportunity that I discuss in my coaching work. It boils down to, you know, a lot of people would just say poor communication or miscommunication. I, I try to get more specific about it. But the truth is my, my wife and I had really unpleasant conversations anytime I disagreed with her about the, the way she was feeling. Right. So my wife would come to me and she'd say, Hey, Matt, some, some thing happened. I feel bad about it or some condition exists in our marriage, and and it's not good for me, I want to talk to you about it. That process almost always broke down. And in my experience as a relationship coach, it almost always breaks down in the lives of the people that I encounter in that work. People can't have successful conversations, and I don't know how there can ever be trust and safety and cohesion in a relationship in which somebody can't say, hey, something's wrong. And if the other person doesn't like it, like they don't honor that, they don't demonstrate that they're interested in being a supportive partner or caring about them or trying to mitigate whatever the problem is. And so I think the magic word in that conversation is this idea, and it's something my wife used to say to me, was invalidation. I used to kind of roll my eyes at it because the word invalidation sounded like I'm being accused of not agreeing with my wife when I don't agree with my wife. And I was insulted by the implication I needed to in order to have a good relationship. And I've come to understand that it it's, it's not not in any way, shape, or form about agreement. It's when somebody says something's wrong and my response implies that I think there's something wrong with your brain because what I think is superior to what you think or there's something wrong with your feelings because my feelings are superior to your feelings or, hey, stop blaming me for this like bad thing you're experiencing. I didn't do anything wrong and I get really defensive and I make it about me. I think a relationship partner learns over time. I'm married to somebody who anytime they disagree with me, will always say what they think and what they feel matters more to them than what I think and what I feel. And so I'll never get to win and I'll never get to repair anything that hurts and I'll never have like his or her support. And therefore I don't feel like I can be in this relationship anymore. And I try to just help people identify this conversation pattern in their own lives and kind of work through like the mechanics of what it means to validate somebody, even if you don't necessarily agree with what they're thinking or feeling at the time. So many people get lost, I feel like, right at that point in a relationship. You do that a few thousand times over 10, 20 years, you don't want to be married. Wow. You said so much there. So let's see if we can unpack that a little bit, if you don't mind. You know, I think one thing that you're saying is that when people get into difficult conversations, right, like conversations around problems in their relationship or conflict or or disagreement or something like that, that those are really difficult conversations to have because... Each person is trying to be heard by the other person without really demonstrating that they are hearing what the other person is saying, right? So, you know, you have, you know, A and B married to each other and A says, you know, this is a problem for me and B says, well, this is where I'm coming from and A says, well, do you hear me? This is where I'm coming from and B says, well, I'm coming from this place instead of that you hear what the other person is saying without necessarily agreeing with them but just allowing them the dignity to have their own view that may or may not be the same as yours. And that that kind of competition is what it sounds like to me. And defensiveness over time erodes the relationship to a place where it can't be repaired. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, you said it with so much more high-level intellect than I did, but that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's absolutely. Yeah, I, well, that's I, what I hear I, you yeah, saying. The, that's the my simple, the simple truth is we struggle. It's very difficult for a person to hear that their relationship partner's hurt and that and they feel like the implication is that they're to blame or that they're responsible for it. People really, really struggle with that notion that, you know. And, and so you said, let's talk about some of those things in your marriage. I, I perceived myself to be a good guy who, like, you know, I didn't hit, I didn't cheat, I wasn't a criminal. I, I didn't do horrible things. I really perceived myself to be, like, a decent person. Like, you made a good choice. Not only that, you pursued me, and I felt a little bit pressured in the marriage. And now I resent the implication that five years, seven years, ten years later, I'm somehow this like, you know, POS husband who, who can't do anything right. And I regret so much like having that attitude and not recognizing that I, you know, she never got to have the floor ever, or at least not have it and then have me sort of honor the things she was trying to share with me afterward. It never happened. I always walked away thinking what she thought or what she felt had some measure of injustice in it. And therefore, you know, it's not my problem. It's hers. And I think that condition exists in so many relationships. And that means when the hurtful things happen, nothing ever gets repaired. And so it's a non-starter. It just takes a while for the pain to build up enough for everybody to decide to quit. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is that it's sort of like a right-wrong paradigm, right? If I feel this way, you're wrong, right? As opposed to being, I feel this way. And what can we do to kind of unpack that and understand how we got to that, be that place and, and understand it better? I think there's a real danger that a lot of people absolutely take that right-wrong view of it. And there's sort of nothing inherently wrong with trying to set the record straight or trying to correct a mistake or something that you believe your relationship partner is like incorrect about it. I think that's all very sensible. I just think that dynamic will, will end people in a dangerously slow way because it never seems like anything too big is happening to warrant, you know, rectifying yeah. it somehow. It's kind of like that drip, 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 drip of water on stone over years. Yeah. It wears it away. You're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, bringing you the information and thoughtful dialogue that you need to divorce with dignity. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Matthew Frey about the importance of trust in relationships. I think that's really what we're talking about, Matthew, and how we are misguided sometimes and where we put the focus on our relationships and that misguidance ends up perhaps ruining the relationship that we wanted so badly to have succeed from the beginning. So, Matthew, what, I mean, I know, trust, I think, is your word about how, how important it is in a relationship. And when you talk about it, are you talking about the trust to have those difficult conversations without feeling like it is taking away your own identity? Tell us what you mean by, by trust. Yeah, in a lot of ways. So I used to think of the concept of trust as, I'm not a liar. I'm not a cheater, right? I'm not a bad person who does bad things. Therefore, I'm trustworthy. And so the idea that I couldn't be, quote unquote, trusted by my wife, I, I thought it was an, an absurd sort of like suggestion. And, and I've come to understand it's a lot more nuanced than that. 
And it has a lot more to do, I think, with the concept of reliability or the concept of consistency. So like I trust that when I'm suffering, my relationship partner is going to be there for me. Like when, when that stops being a condition in your relationship, then you no longer trust your relationship partner. It doesn't necessarily mean you think they're liars and cheaters and betrayers. It just means you don't think they're going to be there when you need them. And there's evidence to that because of things that they say or do. Right. And that's who I was. I was somebody my wife learned slowly over time. She couldn't trust to be there in the way she needed me to because I wasn't sort of like just on my own there in these various moments, whether it was the night her son was born, whether it was, it could have been anything, a weekend trip to visit the in-laws where I, you know, wanted to go do whatever I wanted to do instead of, you know, invest in her and the family and things like that. And then, but again, the worst part of it is, when somebody tries to send up the flare that something's wrong and communicate with us about it, so many people like me, at least how I was 10, 15 years ago, shut that down in a, in a particularly invalidating manner. I think when trust goes away, relationships are not sustainable. I think trust correlates with relationships that go the distance more than any other condition. So many people love each other and end relationships because there's no safety and trust in the relationship anymore. So I think that's a really interesting idea. I mean, and trust is such a tricky concept. I mean, when you say trust, there are a number of elements that seem to be, I don't know, inherent in that. And, and you can really see that a lot, or at least I see it. And I'm curious what you think about this, Matthew, right? About when trust starts to go away, right? So, so many times with, with our clients, let's say there's a, a, an adultery, right? An affair. And the other person will say, well, I don't trust you anymore. And so I don't trust you about the money. And the person who had the affair said, well, you know, maybe I had this affair, but I've never done anything to mean that you shouldn't trust me when it comes to the money. But understanding that that loss of trust is kind of like a malignancy. It attaches to everything. And I'm wondering how that looks to you as a relationship coach in the building of it the other way, if that makes any sense at all. Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. And I tend to focus on less dramatic things because to me, that's where the danger lies. I think all the the subtle cues in relationships are what everybody miss because, and I'm speaking hyperbolically, like not everybody misses them, but so many of us miss them because they seem so minor, so benign, so insignificant. And so um, I'm trying to think, the notion of reliability, something like being on time. And in my case, or let's maybe make it about, I'll tell you a story from one of my clients. I have a guy who works with me and he's trying to restore trust with his wife. And what's so interesting about him is his wife lost trust with him, not because he's a liar and a cheater and a betrayer, but because she didn't feel he was reliable in the ways in which she needed him to be. And he had this really concrete example from his own life to share with me. They have a son with a nut allergy, a severe nut allergy, where just the slightest trace, right, of, of any sort of nut is going to, you know, like put their, their little boy in like a health condition that could threaten his life, send him to the hospital, really bad things. And so the mandate with his parents, with, with this little boy's grandparents was, hey, you guys have to get all the stuff with nuts in it out of your house in order for us to feel comfortable, like sending our son over or to like, you know, spend the day or the weekend or whatever. And his parents refused. Like they weren't going to do it because they dismissed the notion that nuts, peanut butter or, or, or like mixed nuts being in the pantry was going to be some, some threat. 
right? Their, their risk assessment that the nut stuff in their house was as big of a danger as mom and dad felt it was about their son was not honored. And so these two new parents stopped trusting grandma and grandpa and they weren't going to let their child go over them. And that is the nuanced way in which trust goes away in relationships. It's, it tends to be, I just fundamentally disagree that this matters as much as you say that it does. But this other person is having a very real lived experience and it does matter and it does hurt that whatever it is that they need isn't being honored. And they're now discovering they're married to somebody who absolutely refuses to show up for them simply because they don't see things the same way. And I find that to be really tragic because I think most of these people, if they truly were able to sort of almost like, let's say, psychically understand how hurtful the other person was like truly experiencing it, they'd say, oh, my gosh, I would never let that person hurt that deeply because of what I'm doing or saying. But it gets lost in translation because it just doesn't seem like things that don't seem dangerous to us are dangerous. And it's really hard to convince someone that it is. So I try to convince someone to honor that which matters to their relationship partner or the consequences you're not going to have trust with them. And it doesn't really matter whether you think that's fair or reasonable. It's just the organic byproduct of not honoring other people's wants and needs in relationships. That's really interesting. I think what you're saying is even if you think this is, you know, ridiculous, even if you think this is inconsequential, even if you think that they're making a mountain out of a molehill, the fact that it's important to your relationship partner should be enough or in a healthy relationship is is enough to have the other partner respect it and try to accommodate it just because it's important to the first person rather than to denigrate it. And that by denigrating it, you break trust and break and sort of chip away at the relationship because that person is counting on you as, as a partner in life to be there for them, but they're, but you're not. Yeah. You do a wonderful job summarizing. Thank you. And I would, what jumps out at me given the show that we're on right now is that how I think critical this idea is in divorced scenarios in which you share children, this identical condition must exist for two parents to effectively co-parent even after a marriage has ended, I think, you know, raising their children together, if that is something that they value, and it's something certainly my ex-wife and I valued was this idea of being good parents to our son no matter what. And I don't know, right? I had, it was still, ironically, she remains my laboratory for like this work and this growth over the years because I'm so much more effective at honoring her experiences, even in the context of co-parenting than I was when we were married. I want to talk about that a little bit more, Matthew, Fry, but I want to remind people that they're listening to Catherine Miller on Divorce Dialogues, and we're here on WVX 1460 AM every other Wednesday, and we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen, and I'm talking with Matthew Fry about relationships, the importance of trust, and how it can build, and how can it destroy a relationship, and Matthew, if people are interested in learning more about your book or about anything else that you're doing, how can they do that? Thank you for asking. My home on the internet is matthewfray.com and sort of, you know, everything's right there, any social channel that I'm active on. And the book is called This Is How Your Marriage Ends, A Hopeful Approach to Saving Relationships. And, you know, the paperbacks are starting to come out in the United Kingdom and next spring here in, in North America. And I get a lot of nice feedback from it. I hope if anybody wants to check it out that they like it, that they find it useful for their lives is really what I care about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I really love what you just said about 
that your relationship with your ex is like a laboratory for the work that you're doing is I think it's not, it's, it's that you're thinking about it and you're thinking about, at least this is what I hear you talking about. You're thinking about your own personal reaction and what hers might be in a really compassionate way for both of you. And through that, trying things that might work differently and observing the result as opposed to being in what you described earlier on as being a more competitive kind of relationship with her. Is, is that right? It's absolutely right. And then that's just the emotional side of it where I feel there's a debt. You know, I, all of these things I failed to recognize in my relationship where I made myself the victim of her unfair interpretations of me or expectations. And I realized that really I was like neglecting and abandoning her every time she was like, hey, I need something uh, just because I, you know, I didn't see it that way. And it's, I don't know, let's call it my redemptive journey, if you will. And I'm reasonably happy with the results. We have a, a nice, healthy relationship. I can imagine that you've had these conversations with her. Yes, not super. We don't do a lot of intimacy building, so we don't go too far in the tank. But she, I think, is, is very cognizant of how I was so blind to these concepts when we were married. And a lot of it's just youth. I mean, we got, got married when we were 25, and I guess age is relative, but I, I lacked the maturity to have this conversation you and I are having right now. So if, if we have listeners out there who are thinking, wow, this feels so familiar to me, where every little conversation is just, it seems like it's going to start out a little one, but then boom, it's a, you always do this. You never listen, whatever it is. What, is there something that you can say this one little tweak or two is going to, could potentially change the dynamic and turn things in a different direction? What, what would that be? I mean, it's tricky because of the, the subtleties of this conversation, but for me, the simplest way to think about it is if I truly love my relationship partner and I would never behave in a manner that I was aware was hurting them, that it's not okay, that they can never ask me for help or they can never tell me that something's wrong. And if I don't like it or agree with it, or if it makes me uncomfortable, that I always respond in a manner that suggests what I think and feel and what I want matters more to me and what you think and feel and what you want. That's not literally the words we say, but it is the math result of this constantly challenging and refusing to, in a healthy way, participate in requests for need fulfillment from our relationship partner. And again, this can show up in like the, the silliest of ways. Like, please don't put this glass by the sink. You know, please don't put your laundry on the bedroom furniture. And people, you know, will sometimes have arguments about really, quote unquote, small things like that. And it's the conversation pattern and this failure to consider how another human being experiences us. That pattern that over time equals I'm not loved, I'm not respected, I'm not cared for. So I don't choose to be here anymore because it's bad for me to be here. And then that I feel like that is the most common story in relationships in which there doesn't seem to be any obvious reason why two people are having it. Well, what do you think about sort of defensiveness when someone says, you know what, I don't like it when you leave the cap off the toothpaste and then the other person says, oh yeah, well, I don't like it when you don't, when you don't empty the dishwasher. Like to me, that feels like a very similar thing, but it's just kind of really 
bundled together. I feel criticized. You're not perfect either is essentially what that is. And and that sounds like a little bit of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, so many of my clients do the whataboutism thing. Like, well, and she does this because so many, it's usually men that I'm working with. And, and male-female relationships is my most common client. And they're like, well, you know, she does all these things. And, and I mean, the best way I know how to say it is my famous example quote, it's not famous, famous, but it's, it's mine. It's the, the most famous thing I have is I wrote an article back in 2016 called She Divorced Me Because I Love Dishes by the Sink. And this story is in the book as well. But you can leave a drinking glass by the kitchen sink and my wife didn't like it. And we had a fight about it. And that fight, in my estimation, symbolizes like the breakdown of like the average relationship, including mine. A lot of guys come to my defense and they say, Matt, why aren't your feelings about that glass just as legitimate, just as valid, just as deserving of being honored as her feelings about the glass not being there? I used to not know how to answer this, but I think I do today. Here is, I think, the most important thing to think about in relationships in which two people experience the world differently. When I used to go get a glass out of the cabinet, or when I used to grab a glass out of the dishwasher, I didn't feel pain. But when my wife ran into the kitchen to discover that the glass was sitting there, a piece of evidence that I was always going to do what I wanted and not honor any of her experiences. She did feel pain. So the work is protect people from pain. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and even if you're feeling pain too, that doesn't mean that you're, you're saying stuff it. You're saying make sure that both people have an opportunity to be heard, I think is ultimately the message. Is that accurate? If somebody can't say something's wrong and experience me trying to do something about it, I don't know how I can expect them to trust me for the duration of a relationship. Those are great closing words. Matthew Fry, thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogue. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.